Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. We're very glad you're with us for the Wednesday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. We are brought to you today by ExpressVPN. We have a very different format today. We had topics ready to go, good, bad, and crazy, like we usually do, or at least we try to have a good martini. Uh, Today, we are going to simply spend the time talking about Rush Limbaugh. Rush Limbaugh is perhaps, if not uh, universally recognized, as the most famous and certainly in the last generation the most significant radio talk show host in America. We'll be talking a lot about... uh, his impact over the years. We'll talk about our own personal reflections on him. But Rush Limbaugh died today. He was 70 years old. This did not come as a huge shock. Uh, It was just a little over a year ago. He revealed that he was suffering from stage four lung cancer. He said he'd never expected to make it to election day. He did. Uh, He had a very emotional sign off on his last episode for the year, just before Christmas last year. Many folks Almost wondered if he was ever coming back. He did make it back for a few shows this year. But if you follow his uh, producer on Twitter, uh, who goes by the name of Bo Snerdly, uh, more and more in recent days, there was a guest host. Rush is still fighting. Um, and then lately, there weren't even uh, updates about that. It just uh, seemed that the end was near. And and today, uh, we found out that Rush Limbaugh is gone at the age of 70. We're going to talk about his legacy, his 32-plus years uh, on the air as a syndicated radio host and and more, but uh, Jim, uh, this is a guy who's uh, changed a lot of lives, and some people don't even realize how much he probably changed their lives. And if you're a, a grassroots conservative and who's been one for a long time, you do know the impact of Rush Limbaugh. If you're millennial, maybe uh, you remember what it was like before uh, Rush and syndicated talk shows came along. If you're younger than that, you certainly don't. When it comes to the impact, that Rush Limbaugh had, it's hard to say the significance of this because the Fairness Doctrine had just gone away in the later years of the Reagan administration. Rush came on in 1988 and then in the late 80s, early 90s, uh, and of course beyond. Uh, this is a guy who just kind of became a fixture as a voice for the right. You didn't always agree with everything he said. You didn't always agree with the way he approached every issue. But it was just amazing as a grassroots conservative to have this prominent voice that so often uh, articulated what you believed uh, and and gave you a perspective, gave everyone a perspective that was simply not an option with the big three TV networks and, uh, and, and other forms of media. And so for grassroots conservatives, hard to think of a more significant figure, certainly in the last generation. Yeah, talk radio as we know it really didn't exist until Rush came along in the late 80s. And in the 1980s, AM radio was just not that big a deal in the uh, in the media firmament. Uh, a portion of that came from the Fairness Doctrine, uh, which eventually during the Reagan era, the FCC realized was creating more problems than it was solving. They repealed it. You did not necessarily have to give equal time to a uh, rival candidate or to a rival side. You could just go out, say what you thought, and not have to worry about somebody dragging you to court and demanding uh, additional radio time. And Rush came along, he came from, I believe, was like the DJ world. He was not from uh, necessarily the, the journalism world, the news reporting world. And perhaps it was that, that start as a, a DJ, his recognition that radio, um, the, we have had it described to me several times by people who work in the industry, is that it is the theater of the mind. 
right? You are being invited into the home of the listener. And it's kind of you know, back in before talk radio. I mean, talk radio went on to become a huge deal in part because of Howard Stern, in part because of Don Imus, in part of because of uh, all of these, you know, uh, ones that were going, taking off coast to coast. But for a long time, radio was what you listen to in the car because television was not available. And I think I first became aware of Rush. If, if I wasn't there from the beginning, I was not there too long after the start. My parents used to listen to Bob Grant up on WABC up in New York. That was growing into the uh, preeminent AM talk station there. Uh, I, should, I should emphasize news talk as opposed to sports talk. And it had, you know, it's controversial stylist. I think may have had Morton Downey Jr. Uh, there for a while. And it was, there was kind of this pugnacious and all stuff. And Rush comes along from noon to three. And he just has this larger than life personality. And I don't think people understand how jovial it was. Uh, the, the, when he's saying, you know, I can, I can you know, out argue my opponents with half my brain tied behind my back. Rush Limbaugh was not saying he is the smartest man in the world. He's not saying that he, you know, uh, deserved Nobel Prizes. It was tug in cheek. He was playing along. You know, he was like, um, he was goofing around. And there was just this, this animated fun to it. Um, and it caught on like wildfire. Back to the point, I remember, you know, restaurants used to have rush rooms, particularly in the South, where people just, they, from, from 12 to 3, they, you know, they wanted to be in a place where people would be quiet and only talk during the commercial breaks so that they could listen to Rush. And, you know, I'm sure that for, he was around in the, uh, for, you know, the, the very, the last moments of the Reagan administration, Bush, beginning of the, you know, the, the uh, George H.W. Bush administration. But in a very strange way, I actually think like the Clinton years were what really kind of kick-started him into the stratosphere, in part because he became this, um, I, I believe there was a National Review cover from around that era in the early 90s that portrayed Rush Limbaugh as the, quote, quote, the leader of the opposition. Uh, that there were a lot of political figures that were important, that because of his reach, because of the personal connection he had with so many of his listeners. I mean, it was up in the 20-some million people used to listen to Rush Limbaugh back in his, in his, you know, his heyday. He was just this funny, larger-than-life, going through the news constantly, you know, <laughs> rattling all the papers and all that kind of stuff. And it just, you felt like you were, you felt like you were in the room with him. And that what there are, you know, that, that old saying, often imitated, never equaled. Um, I can't tell you, Greg, and you work in radio, so you probably hear this even more than I do. How many times I have heard a conservative talk show host on radio not named Rush Limbaugh say something like, Rush Limbaugh and I are the only ones talking about whatever issue it is. Well, actually, no. <laughs> Lots of talk radio. What it said, what that comment meant was that this particular talk radio host listened to themselves. And they listened to Rush. And if you listen to a lot of programs uh, that aired after 3 p.m. Eastern on weekdays, there was a good chance the topics of the show were going to be heavily influenced by what Rush Limbaugh had talked about that day. Um, he had no, you know, many attempted imitators, many people who wanted to be heirs to the throne. And I think, you know, now in the year 2020, there, there was no heir to the throne. Sean Hannity has a lot of show, has a lot of networks, and has a big reach. Uh, Mark Levin, Glenn Beck was a big one for a long stretch there. Uh, Laura Ingram is still, you know, but no, nobody really came along and became the next Rush Limbaugh. And you see certain types, you just look at them like, they're just not going to be like that. So, you know, his, his views may have shifted here or there. Uh, he had gone through a whole bunch of health issues over the time, but what he, you know, when he emerged on the scene in the late 80s and what he came, was up to this day 
was pretty much the same guy. He just came onto the national media scene and created something unequaled and something I suspect that will never be equaled. You said it exactly right, Jim. I mean, between internships and uh, my career, uh, my time in radio uh, goes pretty far back into Rush Limbaugh's career. And even back then, it's he's the gold standard that everybody in talk radio wanted to be. But you said it exactly right. It's one thing to be passionate. It's one thing to be articulate, to uh, really be in touch with, with what the people are saying and thinking. Um, it's another thing to be entertaining while you do it. It's really hard. We try to do that every day. Some days we do it better than others. Rush uh, just had an instinct for it in so many different ways. And being the happy warrior, it's, that's been part of politics for a long time. Even if you agree with someone, if they're always dour and down and complaining, you don't want to be around them that much. But if you agree with them and they do share your genuine concerns, but they're cheerful in how they do it, uh, it really makes an impact. And uh he set the bar really high, and like you said, for over 30 years now, people have been trying to reach it, and for the most part, nobody has. Uh, and like I said at the beginning, you know, this was before the internet. So, I mean, now with the internet, uh, you've got lots of different opportunities to hear a, a myriad of voices, ours included, but that's assuming, of course, that uh, people don't try to to squelch them. And that's where uh, ExpressVPN can help you out right now. Big tech trying to, in some ways, uh, suppress free speech, uh, people getting kicked off of Twitter and Facebook and other things, not just Donald Trump, but uh, other people who aren't exactly a threat to society. But why exactly are we choosing to give these big tech companies all of our personal data? The lines have been drawn. Big tech has made it clear which side they're on. And now is the time to take a stand. You can protect your personal data from big tech with the VPN you can trust for your online protection. It's ExpressVPN. See, every device, whether you're on your phone, your laptop, or your TV, has a unique string of numbers called an IP address. When you search for stuff, whether you, or watch videos, or even just click on a link, big tech companies can use that IP to track all of your activity and tie it back to you. When you use ExpressVPN, your connection gets rerouted through their secure encrypted servers, so these companies can't see your IP address at all. Your internet activity becomes anonymized and your network data is encrypted. And the best part is you don't need to be tech savvy at all to use ExpressVPN. You just download the app on your phone or computer, tap one button, and you are protected. So stop handing over your data to big tech companies whose aim is to censor you and spy on you and hand over all your data to people who want your money. Defend your rights and protect your internet activity with the VPN that you can use every day. Visit expressvpn.com slash martini. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash martini. And when you go to that URL with the slash martini, you get three extra months free. Go to expressvpn.com slash martini right now to learn more. So, Jim, you and I were at the perfect age to really get enthralled with Rush Limbaugh. Teenage, uh, early adult years. And so for the next few minutes, we're just going to talk about how we came to appreciate Rush. I believe the first time I ever heard of him I was actually on a college tour in the early 90s, and I was driving through Indiana. I'm from Michigan, for those who don't know. Uh, and there was a billboard that said, quote, animals have no rights, dash Rush Limbaugh, which <laughs> you may agree with, you might not. But then all of these billboards started popping up, and most of these uh, phrases, I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Who is this guy? Because there wasn't a lot of... Uh, else on the billboard except maybe the station that he was on and uh uh we were 
talking in the car, so we didn't bother to flip on the station, but it intrigued me. And then uh, my senior year in high school, he started his syndicated television show, which lasted for a few years. And so I would watch it at lunch hour, loved it so much that when I got to Hillsdale my freshman year, my classes, my first semester were at 9, 10, and 11. I'd eat lunch at noon and then sprint basically back to the dorm at 12.30 to catch Rush Limbaugh, where he'd just basically sit at his desk in a suit. He'd roll out clips. At that point, Clinton was president and uh, and just hammer Bill Clinton in, in, a, in a lot of uh, fun, different ways. The little catchphrases he had, like you mentioned, in my formerly nicotine-stained fingers when he would shake those papers and so forth. And so I, I remember laughing more than being like, yeah, you get him. Uh, and so it's just, again, that enjoyment, that fun learning about politics, which I was already pretty passionate about. I think there's lots of different factors as to why the Republicans did so well in 1994. I don't think we can overlook the impact that the explosiveness of his popularity on radio and TV had, in addition to all the horrible things Bill Clinton was doing those first two years. You know, listening to you uh, uh, tell those stories, Greg, it reminds me, first of all, my senior year, least surprising story about Jim ever, uh, my senior year of high school in social studies class, upon realizing that my teacher, who I, I liked and who was fine, you know, was, was pretty much on the pretty far on the left side of the spectrum. I brought in Rush Limbaugh's How Things Ought to Be. <laughs> and I put it on my desk and I didn't say anything. I just put it there where she could see it. And I could just say, ah, oh! she just, just you know, mimicked a heart attack upon, uh, upon seeing it. I, I, don't, I think uh, See, I Told You So came out a, a year or two later. Um, that was a huge bestselling book. It was a huge, you know, success uh, for people who insisted that, you know, that I, I also remember hearing a performance professor in college insisting that Rush Limbaugh was going to be a, a flash in the pan um, and a short-lived and not all that influential. And you've never heard of this professor. I can't even remember their name and her name. And uh, you, you have heard of Rush Limbaugh. Uh, and the other thing is I, I probably shouldn't, should not forget here. Uh, back in 2006, I wrote my first book, a nonfiction book about the, how the 9-11 attacks affected the American electorate. It is called Voting to Kill. And it is now available at fine remainder bins everywhere. Um, I had had a few emails from Rush Limbaugh back and forth back when I was doing the Kerry spot in 2004. There's nothing like hearing from the man who is the broadcasting king of the conservative movement. Hey, you're doing a good job. And hey, you know, hey, this is really good. I'm going to talk about this on the, on the show today. And I asked him, can I be on your show? And Rush Limbaugh, you know, is, is the, you know, at that point, nobody's heard of me. Maybe you've heard of me because of the, the Dan Rather thing. Like, but they, by that point, I was over in Turkey. You know, the, there was absolutely no reason in the world for Rush Limbaugh to do me a favor. And he did it. And I got 20 minutes on the show talking about my book. I wish I could say it sold more copies, but nonetheless, like it was just one of the, I have so many people have those stories of Rush Limbaugh, you know, helping them out, uh, giving them a blurb for their book, giving them um, some kind words, giving them exposure, you know, helping people out. And so many people, as I'm looking at my Twitter feed as we're recording this, Greg, are saying, I'm a conservative because of Rush Limbaugh or Rush Limbaugh got me into this. And you want to talk about like the sense of conservatism being the counterculture, right? Of being the real rebels against the established order. Um, God, that 90s era rush really was, was that. that you were, you know, they... Lots of people wouldn't say you were cool for listening to Rush Limbaugh, but there was something, you know, rebellious and kind of joyous and kind of, you know, I know everyone's telling me to zig, but I'm going to zag. And this guy, this guy is proud of who he is. He's proud of what he believes. He doesn't go along with what everybody else is saying. And it was just this, you know, 
absolute breath of fresh air. And I think it just absolutely befuddled uh, so many other people who were disinclined to agree with Rush to begin with. But I remember like, I'm pretty sure it was Newsweek put Rush Limbaugh, and, it was either Newsweek or Time, put Rush Limbaugh and Howard Stern on the cover together. And you know the new shock jocks of talk radio or something. And maybe you love Howard Stern, maybe you don't. But like, I don't think the two are really have that much of a common theme. I, they, they're pretty darn different in their outlook in life and the style and everything they do on there. So, I mean, you really have to not understand Rush Limbaugh to say, oh, yeah, you know, he's, he's one of those Howard Stern type guys. No, that's exactly right. And the other thing I will say, I talked about the importance of, of humor. Uh, uh, the thing that uh, always appealed to me and, and something I learned more as time went on. He doesn't take a lot of guests, so the fact that he had you on was, was quite a, a tribute to you and your work. Uh, he also didn't take a lot of callers. I know there's breaks in radio and so forth. Try talking by yourself for three hours. It's a lot harder than you think. Some people can naturally gravitate towards that. Uh, but uh, if you've never done it before and you think it's easy, trust me, it's not. Some people have the gift for it. And maybe it does come easily to them. Uh, but uh, for the vast majority of us, uh, it, it's, it's something that is an acquired skill, not, uh, not something that comes innately. We are living in difficult times where people fear having thought-provoking conversations about pressing issues. And although we're in the midst of an information explosion, there are a lot of forces aiming to distort what's true. I created The Bill Walton Show to provide a forum for in-depth, thought-provoking conversations with leaders, artists, entrepreneurs, and thinkers. Please join me at thebillwaltonshow.com to explore what's true, what's right, and what's next? So, Jim, in our final conversation about Rush here, let's take a look at the long legacy. We've talked about uh, what he meant in his meteoric rise as a voice on the right, uh, what he's meant to us. But uh, going forward, I mean, social media is going to be a place you probably want to avoid today. There's a lot of lovely tributes by conservatives there, but you know, uh, the lefties are going to be coming out with venom, uh, perhaps gleeful that he is now gone, uh, blaming him for every possible ill in society, probably calling him divisive in a number of ways. That's not the legacy of Rush Limbaugh. Rush Limbaugh's greatest legacy, without question, is going to be giving a voice to people who felt voiceless. These people who would show up and vote, uh, sometimes they'd come to, to rallies, but there weren't a lot of grassroots rallies other than campaigns uh, back then. Sometimes there were, but uh, that certainly seemed to change over time as well. Uh, the happy warrior and a guy, like you just said, Jim, earlier, uh, inspired so many good people into public service uh, and even a few ones into talk radio as well. And so this is going to be a loss that is hard to calculate because we're so used to him that uh, it's going to be very, very difficult without him. I mean, I've been working in radio a long time now. I work on my own thing, so I most of the time I don't get to listen to him. But every once in a while, if I had an appointment where I had to hop in the car or go somewhere between noon and three, I'd instinctively go go to Rush, and it's uh, it's like riding a bike. Uh, you're you're right back where you were uh, as a younger person, or the last time you heard him, whether it was a short time ago or a long time ago, and it was just uh, uh, something you 
almost took for granted as being part of the political landscape. And I'm sure others will try to fill that now. But as we've said over the past 30 years, many have tried to equal it. Few have gotten there. I don't think any have gotten there, honestly. Uh, And uh, the ability to crystallize what you believe, why you believe it, and to do so in a winsome way uh, is going to be the legacy of Rush Limbaugh. Yeah. And as you know, as we've been having this conversation, Greg, I've been thinking about how he came along and created something utterly original and unparalleled. And it takes off, it becomes a hit, and he instantly spurs uh, a lot of imitators and a lot of people who are trying to do a version of what he does. And it doesn't quite succeed. Remember when Bill O'Reilly was going to try to take him on head to head? That didn't really go well for him. <laughs> you know, right. that, that there really wasn't a, uh, you know, if, if you were another talk radio station in a city and you didn't have Rush Limbaugh from 12 to 3, well, you were just not going to win that time slot. That, <laughs> you, you might have a shot at beating the guy who came on after Rush. You might have a shot at beating the host who came on before Rush. But really, Rush was going to own that time slot. And they're really, you know, the, the, the overall audience for talk radio has gradually declined year by year. The perception is that the audience is uh, aging and dying off. But what's intriguing about this, Greg, is at the same time, and this is not hopefully not being too self-referential, you've seen this explosive growth in podcasts and this idea of audio programming that you, you download and you listen to it on your time. If you're not tuned into your radio at 12.06 or exact whatever time Rush Limbaugh's show would begin, and he would generally spend his first Monday in the fall talking about what happened in the football game, <laughs> the first 15 minutes, instead of getting to the political news you've been thinking about all weekend, you know, it, it's portable media, right? That you, you listen to the Three Martini Lunch or Joe Rogan or whatever podcast you're listening to at your leisure when you feel like it. Uh, and there's this whole new distribution network that doesn't require AM radio. And AM radio is having a bit of a tougher time. I wonder how much the problem, if conservative AM talk radio is not what the people involved in it want it to be, I wonder how much of the problem came from an effort to try to redo what Rush Limbaugh had done so well and done so uniquely and just was never going to be equal. That, that other hosts were making, and I, I used to that, you know, I mentioned earlier the hosts who say, well, Rush and I are the only ones talking about it. You could tell certain hosts, even in like their, their vo- vocal affectations could, could kind of sound like they were trying to do the Rush thing. And nobody does the Rush thing as well as Rush. And, and anybody, any pale imitation of it is going to come across as a pale imitation. Um, and so as you see this flourishing of other, you know, of conservative voices and other media, maybe that's the indicator. Maybe there was that sense that, you know, conser- the conservative movement needed to uh, branch out, break out, experiment a bit more instead of trying to replicate what he had done with such genius in the late 80s and continuing through the 90s and into the 2000s. Um, it is an unequaled legacy. And I think it's trying to equal that with somebody else who just won't have that kind of talent on loan from God um, <laughs> is just, you're just not going to be able to pull it off. So I think we'd all be wiser if you know, don't go out and try to be the next Rush Limbaugh, go out and be the best you, you can be. Um, and I think they will, I think uh, radio will flourish. I think the entire conservative media will flourish. So uh, uh, Godspeed Rush Limbaugh, you, you touch so many lives and the conservative movement is what it is today because of you. 
You mentioned his love of sports. Uh, I forgot until you mentioned that, uh, that he was on the ESPN NFL pregame show for a little while until uh, political controversy. Four episodes. <laughs> yeah, that didn't last too long. An early example of cancel culture. Yes. Oh, man. Exactly. Well, what it was is that ESPN had hired Rush Limbaugh because he was a well-known, uh, not only a sports fan and political commentator, who was known for being provocative and controversial. And then they fired him because he was provocative <laughs> and controversial. <laughs> Oh my goodness. How could Rush say that? You mean that thing you wanted him to say? Yes. Right. Oh man. That just shows you how far ESPN's gone in the last uh, 15 years or however long it's been. I mean, the idea that uh, the higher ups would consider that now is amazing, but you're absolutely right, Jim. Uh, I probably have a job, at least a job in the industry that I do have because of Rush Limbaugh. And it's just a quintessentially American story. I mean, he basically, like you said, created an industry uh, that has flourished, uh, didn't exist before. I don't know what other cultures or what other societies would have uh, provided that groundwork for it, but he saw an opportunity. He made the most of it. He's the best we've ever seen at it. And uh, I think we're all poor for his loss. And certainly on the conservative side, we're going to be uh, remembering quite a bit uh, over the coming days and weeks and beyond about just how significant his legacy is. And there will, there will still be days down the road when political stories come up and it'll hurt that Rush Limbaugh's not there to have his very unique and very fun take on the news. Jim, we will most likely be back to our usual format tomorrow, but uh, given the impact that Rush's career probably had on the existence of this podcast in a number of direct and indirect ways, uh, it's more than fitting uh, that we spend all our time talking about him today. And as you said, uh, condolences to his family, to his wife, to his brother, David, who's also a well-known conservative, uh, and his many friends and listeners. So, Jim, see you tomorrow. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus, Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. ExpressVPN.com slash martini is our sponsor for today. Please subscribe to the podcast. You can get us on those home devices. Follow us on Twitter. And please join us on Thursday for the next Three Martini Lunch.